welcome to Not Alone in the Land podcast, a discussion on mental health with advocates and experts on topics to end the stigma and increase awareness in the community. Here are your hosts, Portia Booker and Megan Rochford. everyone. Thanks for joining us for our last episode of Not Alone in the Land podcast for 2021. I'm your host, Portia Booker, and I'm joined by my co-host, Miss Megan Rochford. Megan, can you believe this is our last recording for 2021? I just, I can't wrap my head around it. Like, where did the year go? Did it fall down a rabbit hole? Like, <laughs> you know, Megan, question for you. What would you say that you've loved so far about starting this podcast in February of this year? I think my favorite thing about starting this podcast is hearing from um, families and people living with mental illness that they learned something new because they listened and that they went and got some kind of help that they did not know was available or that they finally sort of found the courage to, to explore getting help. I really love that we're, we're touching some lives that otherwise people you know, never would have considered a certain option or, or even starting down the path. That's my favorite thing about it. How about you? Oh, so I got a couple. Okay. So the very first one I would say is keeping the conversation going. As you know, I'm big into mental health. I mean, I'm always sharing something on my Facebook, Instagram, my stories about mental health. And I'm just, to me, it should be an everyday conversation. It shouldn't come up when a crisis comes up. It should come up every day organically is my view of life. And also, once again, kind of replicating what you said, providing that additional platform to share information to help more people, because there's so many different treatment modalities out there that people don't know about it. And you never know, like what I told you a couple of weeks ago, how on 77, when I was driving, I saw an ad for TMS therapy. Mm -hmm. And I didn't start even seeing anything about TMS until we interviewed, you know, the doctor on the podcast. So that's why I was like, oh my God, like we're making a big impact in a small way, but it's getting there. Right. So that's what I, deeply love about doing this is keeping the conversation going, keeping people empowered and keeping people well, right? Health Mm -hmm. is wealth. So Megan, for our last podcast of 2021, (laughs) I know we've got a, a good topic today, a fantastic one that is with two very, I would say, probably soon to be world-renowned guests. So Megan, who are we joined by today for our last 2021 podcast? (laughs) Today, we're joined by two amazing people from the Best Practices and Schizophrenia Treatment Center, also known simply as the Best Center at Northeast Ohio Medical University. The Best Center is an organization that strives to make evidence-based practices more widely available for individuals with schizophrenia and their families. They provide training and consultation for a wide range of mental health professionals in areas that include early intervention for psychosis or the FIRST program, family education, integrative care, and of course, what we're here to talk about today, a treatment approach known as cognitive behavioral therapy adapted for psychosis. Our esteemed guests today are Valerie Cryer, PhD, Senior Consultant Trainer, and Harry Civic, PhD, Clinical Assistant Professor of Psychiatry and senior managing consultant trainer of the Best Center's 
Cognitive Behavioral Therapy Adapted for Psychosis Program. Welcome, Val and Harry. Such a pleasure to have you with us today on Not Alone in the Land. Mm, thank you. Thank you for having us. Oh Excited my goodness, we've got a, a powerhouse in here. I feel a little outnumbered. <laughs> <laughs> so Val and Harry, thank you so much for joining us. So for starters, I always love to know how people end up in careers in mental health. So Harry, did you want to start by sharing with our listeners what sparked your interest in a career in mental health? Sure. Thank you, Portia. And thank you for having us here. Um, so when I, as I reflect on that, I think about going back to high school, sophomore in high school, and I took a psychology class and I was just, you know, amazed by like, wow, this is really cool. Understanding human motivation and, and, you know, getting insight to things, finding out meaning about things and like interpreting dreams. How cool is that? So that, that kind of like started the interest. And then when I learned that, you know, you could help people with some of this information that really seemed to move me as well. I was always kind of a shy and anxious kid. And so I think at least in part, my movement was to kind of help myself a little bit, kind of figure out how to be less anxious in the world. So there's a little bit of personal motivation there. And as I got a little further into my career, I learned more about my family and that my, my grandmother had basically like a postpartum psychosis and that affected our family quite a bit. And so I think at least in part at a deeper level, I was motivated to try to kind of help others who may be going through similar things like that. So, so yeah, a couple levels like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. What about you, Val? Well, <clears throat> I grew up um, in a family that had quite a bit of mental health illness in it. And so uh, when I got to college and I took my first psychology course, you know, kind of like Harry, I, I was amazed because there might be some answers there for helping me to understand what happened in my family. And so I was hooked at that point. Um, and it's helped me personally a great deal too, because like Harry, I'm a, I'm a bit anxious. And so uh, it was really helpful for me to study and go through all of the work uh, to do this and helping other people with it has been just an amazing experience. You know, I think a lot of people come to mental health through one of those two paths. Either they sort of, um, you know, find that the, the whole field resonates with them in terms of um, being able to offer help, that they're generally an empathetic person who likes to make a difference in the world, or they have all those qualities and uh, they have, uh, you know, a family history. And so that's, that's a, an even more unique path because... Um, you, you bring some lived experience to that role. And that's what we're all about here at NAMI is that lived experience. Mm-hmm. So, so some of us know a little bit about some of the terms that we're gonna talk about today and some of our listeners don't. Um, you, we know, specialize in CBT for psychosis. For people who might not be so familiar with the term, could you explain what is psychosis? Uh, who, who, <laughs> Harry, you wanna take that one or shall I? Doesn't matter. Okay. So um, psychosis is a symptom of an underlying neurological process that um, disrupts the brain and the ability to process information effectively. So people may have effects like hallucinations, visual or audio, or they may develop delusions that are, are pretty rigid and disruptive of their life. Um, psychosis is on a continuum basis. So you know, probably all of us have heard our name called at one point in time when nobody called our name or we felt like our phone rang and it never did. 
Um, that's at one end of the continuum. And of course, the other end is the full diagnosis of schizophrenia. Um, so we, we think of it as a continuum, as a, uh, a, por- a part of normal functioning that's on a continuum. And there are, as we work with people with psychosis, we understand that there's a lot more to the symptoms than just having symptoms. They're often a reflection of some trauma or some life history that's involved as well. Would you add anything to that, Harry? No, I think that's a, an excellent description. I mean, it's more than just the neurology and biology. It's part of our life experience gets woven into that. And I love the idea about the continuum because our brains are kind of wired to misperceive things and mishear things at times, all of us. And, uh, you know, um, that's one end, like Val said, and on the other end, it can be uh, more extreme and more distressing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's why I'm happy that we're having this conversation because I think people have heard the term psychosis before, but it's one of those what I would call an abstract concept until you actually apply it to like what you mentioned, Val, about some of the symptoms that people may experience. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, maybe Val and Harry, if you don't mind, you know, maybe can you, you know, elaborate maybe some of the behaviors that a person who, you know, who is experiencing psychosis may exhibit, you know, because I know sometimes when we're out and about, for example, we may be at the mall and we see somebody who, you know, is acting a little strange. Maybe they're walking a little different. Maybe they're, you know, yelling at the wall with the shoes. You know, maybe can both of you elaborate on that? Harry, did you want to start? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think you gave an excellent description of a very common presentation where someone may be very bothered by hearing something internally, usually it's voices that are very critical or saying mean things or whatever it may be. And for any of us, if we were hearing that, you know, our eyes would dart around, we'd be looking and we'd be afraid. I mean, I'd be afraid. Uh, and so there'd be a fear piece to that. It's not uncommon for people to shout back at the voices. Uh, we actually do an exercise in our training where we have people, you know, hear voices for a little bit and just sort of reflect on how they would react if they were having that experience happen to them. And so the more common things are those overt eyes looking around, maybe yelling, looking uh, afraid. The other thing that's a little more subtle is in conversation, while a person is talking, they may stop completely and then start in another direction. And that could be an example of kind of the way the brain's either misperceiving information or just part of a a psychotic experience as well, where the conversation gets cut off like that. So those those are a couple of things. Val, do you want to add anything to that? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, when I think of people kind of walking around and having an odd posture, um, sometimes there's a belief system that um, there can be some communication through the body, like through, I don't know, a sensation at the end, like a prick on the end of the finger or uh, a feeling inside. And so people might actually hold an odd position in order to make that kind of uh, quote unquote communication happen. Um they also have a hard time processing emotions. And so while they experience emotions at the same level anybody else does, their posture doesn't show that. Their facial posture tends not to show that. Um, and so that can be uh, disconcerting when you're talking to somebody who's actually feeling the same thing you are, but just is unable to show it. Sure, sure. I think what stands out most to me as you're describing um, some of the ways that you know someone with uh, psychosis might present is that it's uh, it can be kind of a scary way to go through life. You know that people might end up feeling uh, kind of afraid a lot of the time, and I imagine that um, 
you know, if the opportunity were available for someone to, you know, find a, a form of therapy that could help with some of that, that, you know, a lot of people might really appreciate that. So one of the things we're trying to do on our podcast is um, demystify various types of mental health treatment for those who listen. Uh, and we're hoping that maybe you could sort of walk our listeners through a typical session of CBT for psychosis and sort of explain how this particular type of therapy might help someone with some of those fears, some of those anxieties, and some of those, you know, sort of um, difficult experiences they're, they're having. What will someone experience while engaging in CBT for psychosis? And either one of you can start. Just feel, to jump, feel free to jump right in. Go ahead, Harry. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, I guess the very first thing is uh, you picked up on a good point, Megan. Individuals who are having this experience come in very afraid uh, and often very stigmatized. You know, they've been dismissed and pushed aside and not really listened to. So a big part of the first part of the therapy is engaging. And really, that's making the, the therapy space safe to be able to talk about these uncomfortable things. So we spend a lot of time initially just getting to know the person, very common, neutral, respectful, like, what are you interested in? What are you good at? Tell me what you're best at. Uh, because often individuals with psychosis, when they come into um, some treatment sessions, it's about the symptoms and what's your medicine and thing like that. So we really try to create a little different space. Um, one of the sayings we use a lot in CBT is start with what is strong, not with what is wrong. So we kind of start where their strengths are, where their confidence is. And this is true for any of us, right? So if we're confident about something, feel good about something, we're more willing to talk about it. So we really start with strengths, interests, values. And we really try to generate this energy and alliance around like, how do we help you get to those things? Relationship, a job, a hobby, whatever it is, let's work together towards that. And as we talk about it, then we say, well, what gets in the way of getting there? And usually the things that are getting in the way are things like voices or paranoia. So the idea is we don't come right out and say, well, tell me about your voices and let's reduce your voices. It's really about what do you want in your life to have a valued, meaningful life? And let's work together to get there. We're going to work as a team to get there. And so so that was, that's the beginning piece. And we really start with kind of that shared decision-making, kind of uh, setting the stage for the person in the session to have a lot of choices. Um, how long the session is, where would you like to sit? Is it okay if I ask you about this? We do a lot of empowerment-oriented questions so that the person feels like they have control, some controls of the encounter in very simple ways. And that builds some confidence and strength to move forward. Um, and then as we, after we develop that alliance and figure out what we're going to work on together, then we begin to introduce some cognitive behavioral therapy for psychosis strategies that might help. Uh, and so a common one might be if a person is experiencing voices, we may you know, really listen and understand when do they start? What happens when they start? What do you do? What do you believe about the voices? And there are some tools we use to help them keep track of that information. Um, because one of the things with hearing voices is people very often believe they don't have any control over it. The voices are controlling everything. And so some of the strategies we do is to help people to recognize, oh, I do have some control when I do this the voices bother me less when I listen to music or when I talk with a friend or whatever it is, we help them to link up things that they do that show them that they have some power in relation to the voices. When they get that first sense of power in relation to the voices, then you can then build additional strategies and the distress then comes down because some of the distress is related to, I can't do anything. These voices are all powerful. I have no control. So some of the strategies are intended to kind of help reduce that distress, increase the sense of control um, in those moments, and then also that ability to move towards their goals. Um, so that's some initial thoughts about it. Val, do you want to add some other kind of strategies and some other ideas? Yeah, actually, CBTP is very recovery oriented rather than symptom oriented. 
And so a lot of what we'll do is um, to have therapy be, be around reaching the goals and perhaps accepting the symptoms uh, or influencing the symptoms so they're not quite as distressing because the symptoms may not go away with medication. They, may, they might, but they might not. And so uh, part of it is acceptance of what's happening, education about what's happening, and uh, learning to have a full and rich life, family, job, friends, anyway. And, and we've watched that work. Uh, it's, it's truly a lovely thing to watch. Um, the other thing is, is that some of these delusions are absolutely terrifying. And if anybody said to me the things that I've heard my clients say about their voices, I'm not sure I would go to the next step to uh, try an intervention to reduce my voices because a lot of times there's, there's a threat of retribution of some kind. And so, so much of the time is spent on engagement and building trust and a firm, solid ground upon which to base therapy. Uh, and that can take quite a while, um, but that's okay. You know, that's what we're there for. So, wow. It's so the way I kind of interpret psychosis is it's more complex at times than what we sometimes hear about. Because like I mentioned in the beginning, it's one of those abstract concepts where you hear it, but until you actually get to see it firsthand, it's like, oh, we're making all these assumptions. So Harry and Val, I have a two-part question for both of you. Here's the first part. Can people just at any age experience psychosis? And if they do, whether they're somebody who's a teenager or, you know, all the way to adult, elderly, maybe what are some tips for families or friends who see their person struggling? Is there certain maybe actions they shouldn't take? Is there maybe actions they should maybe calling a mental health professional? So we'll start with the first question first about can psychosis happen at any age or is there a certain age that maybe it can appear to be something else? We'll start with that first. Harry, did you want to start? Sure. Um, so the answer is yes. I mean, psychosis can really occur at just about any point on the developmental or age spectrum. I mean, it, it tends to occur a bit more commonly in the late teen years, early 20s, and that's what folks typically talk about, but it can certainly start earlier. Uh, and certainly as people age, um, it can occur later in one's life as well. Um, and so there's, you know, there's kind of a full range, more common in one zone, and it can occur at, at later points. Um, and the other piece that, I mean, I'll just say is that there are certain kinds of conditions under which people will have psychotic experiences that are fairly common. And this, this will lead to the normalization piece that we'll talk about. You know, so for instance, if someone has a significant loss or they experience grief, a very high percentage of individuals will either hear the voice of the person that left, experience their presence, or sometimes see them. And in some studies, the percentages are as high as 70 to 80% uh, as a person ages to have those kinds of experiences. So a, a lot of what we do when we talk about psychosis is to normalize it. And, and I guess that would be one of the things I would say about tips, and then I'll pass it over to Val, is kind of thinking about the normalization piece, just to kind of say, you know, people will have unusual experiences 
throughout their life, let's talk about it. It's okay to just sort of, let's have a conversation about it. There are many things that might contribute to it. And really just being able to listen and not judge and kind of step in is a really just important thing to do. Mm -hmm. Val, you want to add to that? Sure. Um, oftentimes when we're watching the, be the beginnings of um, psychosis happen, uh, first of all, I think it's important to really emphasize that psychosis is a symptom of some other underlying disorder. So schizophrenia is a kind of a terrible word for it. Um, so there's, there's some other process going on that's causing this, but as the symptoms begin to, to blossom a little bit, family will see a, a change in behavior, maybe some odd behavior, and they may make assumptions if they have no idea what's happening. So uh, a lot of times people will think the person is on drugs because they're hallucinating. Or there's um, a set of symptoms called negative symptoms. And that, that really is where the person is, is so overwhelmed with internal stimulation that their body actually shuts down because the brain can't take that much stimulation. But to the outside, it looks lazy. And so oftentimes these people developing the symptoms get very criticized by family, not not in a, you know, not with intention. They're trying to, you know, work with this person the way they always did, and it's not working. And so a lot of times there can be some pretty severe criticism and shame as a result of what the family is thinking that they're seeing. So if there's odd behavior, um, I, I think the first thing to do would begin to uh, discuss that, um, get some education about it, discuss it with your family doctor, get education, get as much information as you can. Um, so I, that's what really, I guess, gets me uh, right at the beginning is the family is very well-intentioned, but it all comes out and it exacerbates, you know, symptoms. Sure. Yeah. And as, as we started off by saying, that's one of the things I love most about doing these kinds of conversations with uh, experts like yourselves. It's just the opportunity to share that information with families, you know, because as you said, they, they come from a place of love. They're trying to do the best that they can. And if they know better, they can do better, right? They can be more helpful. Uh, and so I think all of what you have just shared there is so essential for, for family members to understand about what the symptoms look like, what they mean, and where they're coming from, which is really the impact of the illness on the person and their functioning. Mm -hmm. So, um, to, to add to that uh, understanding, can you talk a little bit with our listeners uh, about the research and what the research shows as far as the effectiveness of CBT for psychosis? Want to start, Val? You want me to start? Uh, okay, I'll go. <laughs> <laughs> research shows that CBT has uh, a moderate, moderate to large effect, moderate uh, on uh, symptoms and a symptom reduction or distress, it will lower the distress certainly of the symptoms. Um, there are, there are a, a bunch of different CBTs that we can, can use as well. Like there are third wave uh, CBT, like acceptance and commitment therapy. So CBTP works on um, you know, looking for evidence, uh, kind of disputing the delusions, helping people uh, reality check, and the third wave CBTs are more mindfulness-based. And so while CBT is great for kind of the positive symptoms, 
acceptance and commitment therapy and mindfulness can be very influential on negative symptoms, but you kind of have to add them together and mix and match a little bit to get the whole, the whole thing. So, um, I would say that's my start. Harry, why don't you take it away and wrap it up? <laughs> sure. No, that's an excellent uh, review of it. I mean, there are definitely benefits with CBT. The other part that I'll uh, add to it is that uh, folks who receive CBT generally are quite satisfied with it when they look at satisfaction studies. And that's because it's very tailored to the individual. Uh, and so it does have an effect in lowering the distress associated with like voices or paranoia or distress associated with even negative symptoms. Um, folks who receive this sort of intervention also seem to appreciate it. Um, and so there's definitely benefits that way. The other thing that I'll say about it is that sometimes, it, I mean, it takes a while for the effects to happen though. So uh, mm -hmm. we do see some early effects. Usually with voices, we get a little bit quicker effects. Over time though, if there's, if there's paranoia or a, a delusional belief that's kind of stuck and there are even negative symptoms, it takes a little longer to get there. Um, but what's great about CBT is it's a continuous process of learning and sharing. And so once they get those skills, once CBT is completed, what some of the studies show is that even after treatment, they still maintain the benefits um, because there's, it's a very skill-based approach, you know, where you kind of learn things and you kind of move forward, um, that part of it. And the only other part I'll add is that what CBT is best at is improving things related to general well-being, movement towards recovery-oriented goals. And what's important about that is that there is some literature out there that shows that even if you still are hearing voices or have a belief that's, that's paranoid, but you're moving towards recovery goals and, and living a valued life, um, people are satisfied. They, they describe their life as flourishing. So the, the idea that you can still have symptoms and live a valued life uh, can occur within this sort of treatment approach. Yeah, I mean, that's what I love about this, having these conversations. Like I said, you learn so much, you know, and you never know how just one word of what you say could really ignite a movement, ignite a conversation within a family, mm -hmm. you know? So I love that whole continuous road to recovery, no matter what symptoms or anything you're experiencing. Mm -hmm. Wow. Megan, you know, for our listeners, Megan, what would you say that, you know, NAMI is currently doing to help families, maybe when they call you or Melissa, understand psychosis or, or find resources? Yeah, so this is, um, this is right in NAMI's wheelhouse, right? NAMI, as we know, was founded uh, way back in the 1970s by two moms uh, who had adult children living with schizophrenia and who had kind of had it with the lack of appropriate supports and services for um, their children and um, just built, built a movement all across the country uh, to, to support families who are facing this kind of situation. So. I would say that if you're in this sort of situation and you're looking for support, that NAMI is definitely gonna be your friend, right? We have support groups for families. Family members can um, participate in those either virtually right now during the pandemic, if that's more comfortable for them, or we have some in-person groups and those are places where people can share uh, support strategies, coping strategies, and just kind of help, help each other uh, get, get through the experience. No one gets it like someone who's been there. We also offer a course called Family to Family. It's an eight week course. Uh, it's taught by um, family members who've been through similar kinds of experiences and they'll help each family kind of develop a, a coping plan for themselves and a good plan for understanding how to best support their loved one in their own recovery journey. And then I would also say that um, one uh, good option to consider is a, is a course that we do called LEAP 
And that stands for listen, empathize, agree, and partner. Uh, it's a, a communications method that was developed by um, a psychologist of Columbia University, Dr. Javier Amador. And it is amazing for helping family members learn how to have really positive, productive conversations, very supportive conversations with their loved ones who are living with mental illness. And then finally, I would say we have our helpline and uh, we're available Monday through Friday from nine to five, 216-875-7776. We can help people find supports, resources, uh, types of treatment. Uh, if someone, for example, was looking for a specialist in CBT for psychosis, feel free to give us a call. We'll connect with our friends at Neomed. We'll help you find someone because that's what we're here. That's what it's all, all about is spreading the word about the thing, the one thing that might be what makes a difference for your particular family member. So uh, NAMI is here for you. Find hope, find help, call NAMI. I hear that, Megan. You are so right. You know, that's what I love. You know, you are not alone. I mean, obviously our listeners can't see your background, but it says you are not alone and we are in this together. I mean, I said that during the NAMI walk speech in July, you know, mm -hmm. that mental health is a community. No matter, you know, however you look at it, it takes a team. It takes support to really get you back to where you're supposed to be. Wow. Megan, I got to say, I told you that we, we were going to, you know, exit out 2021 with a bang with our last episode. So, <laughs> Megan, what are your final thoughts? My, my final thoughts, my final words of hope are that... Um, you should um, never give up hope. You know, I have this quote on my desk that I really love. It's from Thomas Edison. And it says, <laughs> when you have exhausted all possibilities, remember this, you haven't. And that's so true for mental health. Like there are new things happening, new treatments being developed, new medications being developed, new types of supports and programs and resources happening all the time. There is always another possibility. Absolutely. I second that. I would say for me, Every day is great that ends in why. Every single day you have a chance to change your life. You have a chance to learn something. You have a chance to be better than you were the day before. And that's how I apply that same quote to my life every single day. Every single day that I'm not reading my name in the plane dealer, I'm good. <laughs> Harry and Val, I thank both of you for coming on and, you know, just sharing with our listeners about this somewhat, like I said, abstract concept that we see often in common scenarios, whether we're out in the malls, in our families, and we're not always sure we have good intentions, but maybe our intentions, you know, don't always come across as good as we both know. So for both of you, we'll start with you, Val. What words of hope can you leave with our listeners today? Whether it's a family member who maybe has seen their loved one experience some level of psychosis, maybe they've heard the term, but they're not exactly sure if they should pursue any other type of education or they should just do the hands-off approach. What words of hope can you leave with our listeners today? Val, you can start. I would say that... Uh, People with a diagnosis of psychosis or schizophrenia can and do recover and have full and wonderful lives. And I know that because I've had the um, wonderful luxury of being able to work with people and watch them grow and reclaim their lives and become 
you know, a, a part of the community and doing things that they love to do. Uh, it may take a lot of uh, work, but it's absolutely possible and we have seen it happen. Excellent, thank you so much for that Val. Harry, go ahead. Well, first of all, I wanna thank you, Portia and Megan, for having us here. And as I was listening and, and about the information sharing, it reminds me of a quote by Dr. Pat Deegan, who is a person who lived with schizophrenia and then later went on to get a PhD as a psychologist and now is a strong advocate. But her quote that I love is, information is power, information sharing is power sharing. And the, what you guys are doing here allows a great opportunity for that. And so part of my messaging is for folks who are listening is to kind of listen to that. What did they hear today that they can pick up on and search a little bit? There are different ways to look into things, a phone call, whatever it may be, uh, to go ahead and do that, feel that inspiration and do that. Because like Val, you know, I believe people really can recover and live meaningful lives um, with psychosis. And there are many ways to reach those valued you know, kind of goals and lives that you want. There's not just one way, but it does begin with that search. You're not alone and you're stronger than you think is the other thing that wow. I want to say is that often in moments of vulnerability, you feel weaker, but you are stronger than you think yeah. uh, and sort of take that energy and move forward with it is what I would say. Yeah. Wow. Thank you so much, Val and Harry. You know, sharing with our listeners is what we do, you know, keeping people empowered no matter what, because I know in this world, there's so much information. And sometimes you just need that more simplified approach is my, my view of life. Keep it simple. You know, the kiss method. Mm -hmm. Well, everybody, that concludes our final episode of Not Alone in the Land podcast for 2021. Thanks for listening, everyone, and see you in 2022.